You're listening to Angus Underground, featuring insight, opinion, and answers to the questions on everyone's mind. Prepare to be educated, entertained, and empowered with insight, news, and conversation with today's newsmakers. From the well-known to the not-so-well-known, raise your flag and join the revolution as your hosts, David, Joe, and Corbin, take you underground. Welcome to this special New Year's Eve edition of Angus Underground. We've enjoyed bringing you content from the world of Angus in 2021 and look forward to a great lineup of guests and topics ahead for 2022. I am joined tonight by Joe and Corbin. We have a great guest lined up to join us later in the show. He is not only our first repeat guest, he's prepared to lend some great insight into how he matches his bull customers with the right bull. Corbin, I'm not much on New Year's resolutions, but in the spirit of the season, I thought it would be fun to hear each other's resolutions. What is the one thing that you will focus on the new year? Well, yeah, I'd like to point out that I'm not really big on New Year's resolutions either, and I have a really big reason for that, and that's because I never adhere to them. It never seems to uh, last a full 365 days, so typically I refrain. And rather than have something silly like, uh, oh, I want to lose weight or uh, I want to cuss less because I'm not going to do either of those things. So instead, my New Year's resolution is to become more disciplined. And that's in all facets, but mainly what I'm referring to whenever I say I want to be more disciplined is that I want to do that in my mating decisions. I want to do that in my culling decisions. And I just want to really take a step forward this year and do the things that maybe are hard to do and make those hard decisions and just remain centered and focused and do them without pause and without any hesitation. Hopefully this time next year, I'll feel better about myself and uh, we'll be moving forward. Joe, what do you got? It's going to make a trio of us that doesn't love New Year's resolutions. I'll tell you that right now. And and I kind of had a thought of what my resolution was, but Corbin, I like how succinct you were with discipline. I like the word discipline, but I'm going to apply it in a different way. Bruin Ranch, aside from some of the sires and the great hands that we've had the opportunity to put some of these cattle in, one of the greatest marketing outlets we've had is social media. It's made our program go out nationwide and even worldwide and put it into people's houses, into their hands as they're looking, they could see what we're doing. And it's been a real beauty to our program. But at the same time, it hasn't come without collateral damage. I I think that sometimes the social media thing can really drive some wedges between personal relationships you have. And and when you're the father and the head of household, you got to reprioritize some things and be the center of the ship. And And I'll tell you what, guys, it can be a sink, a time sink. The AI discussion page has been fun. It's interactive. Some of those topics are so doggone circular anymore. We've covered everything there is to cover. All folks do is they get in their silos, get tribed up and and start fighting about stuff. I'm going to try to stay disciplined with my social media, make sure that I'm sharing really applicable program things, goals, show them cattle, show folks the things they need to see about our program, really focus on the good, stay out of the trenches and out of the muck, make sure that we're shining positive things and not fanning the flames and negativity. Wow. You guys, you guys are uh, to be admired. I guess my resolution is not as uh, grand or glorious as yours, but personally, I'm resolving to be less reactionary to what I see on social media. Uh, We've all been there and we see that post and we just feel inclined to comment with some snarky snide remark. 
Yeah, that's that's neither positive nor constructive. But you know, I I kind of equate it, guys, to uh, navigating through a corral in the dark of the night. I mean, we've all been there. Sometimes you emerge on the other side, you look at your boots, and you say, "Hey, I made it through unscathed." Other times, you're going to step right in the middle of a big steaming fresh pile. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what. Recently, I stepped into such a pile on social media. Not going to mention specifics nor names, but I made a, a knee-jerk response uh, to a post about American Angus Association, and I made it before I had all the information. In fact, I made it before I had any of the information. For that, for that, I am sorry. In my quest to verify what I thought was accurate, I subsequently talked to multiple Angus board members and uh, American Angus Association staff, and I found that they were all extremely forthcoming and appreciative that I took the time to bear down and search for the truth. And so in conclusion, yes, I will be less reactionary and we'll see how long that lasts, probably a day or two. You know, David, talking about a viral post and a post that had interest, I just wanted to find a viral post. It's one of two things typically happens when something goes viral on the internet. Either it's something extremely entertaining, you know, like videos the kids do on TikTok. You see somebody fall down, you see a, a cool dog or something, just these cool things that are entertaining to someone, or it's a topic that sheds a lot of light on a subject matter that's of similar concern or thoughts of the masses that hasn't been previously articulated. And I think recently in the past 48 hours, there was a post that did that. Never in my life have I been contacted by so many Angus breeders from so many different types of programs. I had line breeders, I had outcrossers, I had carcass guys, I had frame guys, low input guys, all reaching out to me through text, social media, or on the phone saying, isn't that right? That's the way it should be. And I don't disagree. I completely agree with a lot of the content that was shared there. And I think that's what inflamed the masses. What we did find though, after talking to the CEO and after talking to Angus staff was when we want to bring things to the Angus underground, we want to make sure that we're not a news outlet. We're not ABC Evening News. We're not entertainment or opinion like The View. We want to be entertainment to our producers, but rooted in good and rooted in some quality commentary that has facts. And when we really dug into this, we found out that while we believe that that video does share a lot of the things that Angus breeders feel and are entitled to, it didn't apply in this situation. It really didn't apply. And, and I think that maybe later it will. And when I say about the Angus Underground bringing the good, David, and this is something I want to get your take on, it doesn't mean that we're not going to bring out hard topics. It doesn't mean that if the association does something where this particular topic comes up again and it's a hard topic and we feel like they're on the wrong side of history, will we bring that out? Yeah, I still you think you can define that as bringing the good to the membership. Yeah, I, I think we owe it to ourselves and our listeners that if we find something that uh, we're in disagreement with American Angus, we're certainly going to point that out. And I think that when you say the good... We have to look at all the avenues. We need to look at all the sides and we need to bring all those parties in. And, and one of the really awesome things that came out of this and talking to our CEO of the Angus Association is he extended hand and said, when you guys want to have me on again to talk about topics, um, let me know and, and I'd be happy to join you. And thank you, Mark McCauley, for that. I look forward to that day. I think it'll be really fun. Yeah. And Joe, I just want to circle back, reinforce what you're saying. Uh, that one day in question where I did a lot of calling because I, I really wanted to dig down and see what the truth was. I talked to multiple board of directors members, Angus staff, and I too talked to Mark McCauley. And uh, the one common theme was if we ever disagree with something, if we ever have an idea, 
if we ever have a concept, be it good or bad opinion, we owe it to them. And I say we, I'm not talking about the Angus Underground. I'm talking about we as American Angus Association members have a duty and an obligation to reach out to them. If you're going to sit by the phone and uh, wait for 15 board of directors members to call you and ask your opinion, that's not going to happen. These people have lives outside of their duties with American Angus. Okay. They all run ranches just like the rest of us. It's quite a time commitment from them to even fill the calls, go to the meetings, do all the background, the legwork that they do. It's the least we can do is to reach out to them. And I've been visiting with these guys for many years. The one common theme that they all relate back to me is they are always stunned at how little feedback they get from uh, their members, their constituents. They say, but we go on social media and here's a bunch of people bitching and moaning, yet they've never heard from them. They've never had a phone call from them. So I would urge each and every one of you out there listening right now, if you have a complaint, or even if you want to say attaboy to them, pick up the phone and do it. It's that simple. Or suggestions. Absolutely. I took the opportunity to, while visiting with Mark, I said, hey, here's a couple of suggestions I have to reaching out to the membership. I mean, there is a basic fundamental fact here. There is a percentage of the Angus population of, of breeders that feel disenfranchised and underrepresented. And we can either look at that and be mad as a membership organization, or we could look at it and say, we need to figure out how to kind of rekindle that trust if it's available. And you got to realize some people are going to be pissed no matter what you do, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. But having said that, in this particular instance, I'm going to say both sides. It's going to sound like we're straddling the fence. And I want to make sure, I want to make it 100% clear. I did not call Mark McCulley and straighten him out. And he did not straighten me out. And he did not straighten out David Brown and make sure that we were on the straight and narrow. We compiled some facts. And I'll tell you what the conversation was from my perspective. It was two gentlemen that are incredibly passionate about this breed and incredibly passionate about representing the membership, both small and large for the Angus Association and what we need to do to do that. And I'll, I'll tell you all, call in, give Corbin a call on social media. If you hear that this seminar is different than was portrayed to us, we will bring that to the masses and we'll share it. But I think that this is something that, that is rather benign in nature. And uh, we have two topics that are completely different for the instance. And they're both things that all of us can kind of agree on. But when you follow that one line of thought, it can get kind of frustrating. And, and I think that's what happened. Nobody was really wrong. It's just how it was applied in that situation. Indeed. Succinctly put, Jill. Just to kind of rewind, I uh, want to go back to episode nine. Uh, that was our beef on dairy episode. We discussed items that were on the agenda for a December 15th meeting between the Montana Angus Association, American Angus, and Certified Angus Beef. In order to close the loop on that discussion, I would like to share with our listeners what transpired. While I was unable to attend in person, I did talk to numerous attendees, and, and they were folks from both sides of the table, Montana Angus and American Angus. Ultimately, there was a discussion of where certified Angus beef is with Angus on dairy. And as we learned from episode nine, from our discussion with Eddie Vienendahl, Angus on dairy, whether we like it or not, it has been and will continue to be a part of the certified Angus beef supply. This is opinion coming from me now. Quite frankly, there's nothing there that we can change uh, with, short of a complete overhaul of the specifications of CAB that will keep it out. And I think that's that's what the uh, discussion centered on there in Billings. With that said, there was a discussion from uh, Montana Angus members about possibly creating another tier to the system. 
which would require certification of cowherds. And when I say certification of cowherds, basically go in there and say, are these beef cows? Are they dairy cows? Are they predominantly Angus cows? And basically, uh, you would certify that herd and, uh, you know, steers sired by registered Angus bulls from those herds would qualify ultimately, provided they meet the specs for CAB, they would qualify for a higher tiered system than we already have now. I think it's an extremely intriguing idea. I need to find out a little more about it before I totally endorse it. But while that's obviously uh, something that we can all file away and, and kind of study and think about, I believe the most notable piece coming from that meeting and, and also from my subsequent discussions with uh, AAA Board of Directors members centers around a word, and that word is sustainability. I think we'll all agree it's a vague word, and it elicits a varied response from all those in agriculture. Dare say if we polled 100 people for a definition on sustainability, we're probably going to receive 100 different answers. With that being said, the food service industry is beginning to demand proof of sustainability from its suppliers. And obviously, certified Angus beef is a supplier. As it was related to me, we can either drive the narrative and define sustainability ourselves, or we can sit back and argue about it and we can allow others to define it for us. If that happens, we're going to be expected to live by their definition. I can tell you from my uh, seat, I would much rather, much rather get ahead of this and define what sustainability means to certified Angus beef than, uh, you know, having, uh, no offense, Joe, some tree hugger in California <laughs> give us the definition for us. The biggest problem with sustainability is it's one of those third rail words that that elicits a really viscerally emotional response from whoever. And that's what it's going to do. And it's hard to navigate through that. The one question I'd have for you, David, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Is this a subcommittee CAB working group working on sustainability? Is this Sticka and his staff? Or is this a subcommittee through association? How are they going to compile this information that becomes, what's the sausage making? That's what I'm getting at behind it. And Joe, I'm not prepared to give you an answer there. I'll be quite frank with you. All this was pretty new to me. Uh, you and I had discussions off air <laughs> about sustainability and, and some of the uh, allegiances and alliances that Certified Angus Beef has entered into recently. On the surface, without any information, it looked fishy. It looked puzzling. And I didn't have an answer to uh, any of the questions in my mind. But as I talked to these board members and even Montana Angus members who were at the meeting, it was at the forefront of their mind and, and they wanted to discuss it and they wanted feedback from the membership. Now, who's going to have the final say on that? You know, what committee, where, where are they uh, made up of board of directors members? Is it something that's going to be done by staff at Certified Angus Beef? I have no idea. But if you want to say in it, now's the time. So can we do this? Can we have listeners chime into Corbin too? Absolutely. And say, hey, this is a topic we want to try to have Mark McCulley on to talk about or see if he'd even be interested to entertain the idea. I know it's in its infancy and it's going to be super hot topic, but if they want to get out in front of this and try to convey the message the board is trying to, to present, it'd probably be a good opportunity if you all listening have interest in that, get to Corbin. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a fantastic idea. And we're going to share the link to this episode on social media. You know, type right in the comments. Hey, this is what I think about sustainability or 
Uh, <laughs> I'm not interested and I don't want to talk about it either one. But I will say this, if we come back a year from now, it's going to be defined. And uh, the last thing we need to do is have a bunch of people yapping at the edges who didn't didn't take the time to give their input. You know, that's a sad day if we, if we get to that point. Because I do predict a year from now, that's going to happen. And I'll tell you, David, when we first chirped about this about a week ago, you and I were talking about some different things. And boy, it sure calls into question if it's within the realm and scope of, of responsibility of a breed registry and a membership organization to define such things. But when you frame it in that context, when we look at it through that lens of, hey, all of a sudden your genetic, I don't know, genetic marketing, your genetic verification, I don't know what you would call it, but your program that validates the value of Angus beef is going to have to comply with this. It surely makes you think about the topic differently. I will give you that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something else. I got a million other things that I'd rather do, but face it, we are in the food business. Yeah, we raise purebred cattle, but ultimately, if we're going to have this branded beef program that's a shield on our breed, and quite frankly, it's a great revenue producing program that funds a lot of the programs that we uh, enjoy as Angus breeders, then we're going to have to get with it and we're going to have to tackle this head on. I think sustainability is a really fun buzzword and it's something that gets thrown around a lot. So let's do something fun. When you guys hear this on social media, I want everyone to type in the comments their best definition of what sustainability means to the Angus breed. And the winner will get an Angus underground hoodie, which uh, we don't have, but we, we will get it made. <laughs> I don't promise that because we don't, we don't have the budget for a hoodie. <laughs> we need some more Yakley insurance first. <laughs> Amen. And what a segue, Joe. Thank you very much. Uh, so this segment is ending, but uh, stay tuned for tonight's guest after a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. Are you searching for semen from Balanced Straight Sires, which are different by design? If so, look no further than Montana Ranch. Semen from Atlantis, Benchmark, Pathfinder, Outcross, Global, Can-Am, and Revival is available for immediate shipment right to your front door by contacting David at 406-210-5605 or emailing bulls at montanaranchangus.com. Again, contact David at 406-210-5605 or email bulls at montanaranchangus.com. Now, back to the show. Well, guys, we've got a treat for you here. As you know, we had Jordan Rhodes on a few weeks ago, and he was such a big hit that we decided to bring him back on. Before I introduce Jordan, I just want to let you guys know that his sale is coming up on January 17th. It's there at his ranch. It's at 1 p.m. Central. It's on DV Auction, and they'll have lunch and fellowship beforehand. And I know that uh, Jordan would love to hear from you guys, and he would love to have you all in the seats if it's at all possible. Just give him a call and get set up and... Uh, you guys will not be disappointed. How are you, Jordan? Very well. Very well. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, so let's just jump right into this. Let's say I'm a new customer and I'm coming to Rhodes Red Angus. How do you formulate a plan to get me into the right bull? What is your method? Uh, if you're a new customer, the first thing I'm going to do is we get in trouble where guys are like, where we think that bulls are interchangeable. 
And they are to a degree. You know, we are just a commodity product. But at the same time, you know, to make progress, I think the only way you can be sustainable is to start asking a whole bunch of questions with these guys. I think one of the things that I've tried to interpret lately is I try to use my imagination and understand an environment because, you know, you see cattle developed across the road from each other and maybe there's a small variation in uh, a different grass species and you can set the same genetics beside each other and some express themselves better in certain environments. Uh, I guess my point with all this is that uh, we've started talking with some people in the South and, and some people that are in more tropical environments and we understand what wet feed is and we understand what those guys' needs are. And so it makes me think about something like with wet feed, you know, your growth threshold can only be so big because like if the skeletal size gets too big, they literally starve to death in belly deep grass. They can't convert enough forage. And so I always tell my brother, I'm like, our brome is our blessing. People around here complain about brome because it's real washy. It's not like super protein dense grass and you won't wean as heavy a calves down here in the valley than you will up on some of, some of the native prairie, but it's relative. And so like I think about our own cattle and I guess my thoughts are is that if a cow can stay in good rig on wet feed, she will do better on dry feed. You have to use your imagination to go from that environment to another, if that makes sense. And so I want to understand, in other words, like, what are they eating? The next thing is, is like, what are your goals? You know, the idea is to understand, you know, what do you want to fix most? Like, what's giving you trouble? And I really, like, I think about it, and there's probably three things. Like, to me, this business is about, first and foremost, reproduction. Second, production. If you cold for those two traits, you could build a really beautiful cow herd in about five years and then the third thing i think would be convenience traits we forget how valuable the cow is that you know the calf's born with the sacks over his head and a good cow knows that and she pops up and she rips that sack off his head and when you're late and you get there that calf's already nursed and that cow's doing her job and she don't want to kill you she don't run away from you the convenience traits like you don't have to put her in the barn and get colostrum out of her, and you're breeding that cow to a mature cow to a 17 Cavanese direct bull, and he's 55 pounds and cold, and and uh, they're a pain, you know. So you sort those things. Like I don't want to bring cow up three o'clock in the morning, and if you do, it's because you know, like you just make them earn it for those three things. And I figure if you can get them pregnant, you can change them. I bought plain little cows that got pregnant on time and were productive, and then I, you know, you started to emphasize bulls that were out of cows with the same criteria but with more type and kind you take that hard-working cow and you amplify her with breed character and understand that the core base is preg rate jordan if i might real quick yeah and i've been to your place and seen your cattle you got a great herd but how do you how do you find those differences that's a good question a lot of times what i'll do is i'll figure out like where they're buying their bulls because everybody has a program, right? And it's more pedigree-based, right? So if you have a bull that's five years old and he's 95% accurate and he's top 1% of the breed for performance and this guy's been using five of them, I already know if he's keeping his daughters, I need to talk that guy into toning that thing down. Because odds are you're going you're gonna to blow past that growth threshold and you're going to have trouble on the maternal side. The males will gain six pounds a day. They'll be awesome. But I don't like that saying where pounds sell. Pounds sell because a factory produces pounds over a decade. And uh, 
And so like, that's the first thing is the growth threshold where the next guy will maybe tell you, you know, he's got a, a real, real hardy kind of moderate made cow. And maybe he's not getting enough performance. You know, maybe you used a couple of rounds of real high Cavanese direct bulls. And for me, like Cavanese direct and Cavanese maternal coexist. You know, it's not like these little pin Cavanese cows. It's not that they can't have calves. It's not like they're going to get hip locked. It's like they suck all the birth weight out of anything. And it's like Cavan, you know, it's like breeding a longhorn to a Charlotte. They'll spit them out. Jordan, let's say you had a group of cows like that. Let's say you talked to a customer and they said they had those little Cavanese cows. They had bred for plus 17 CED because they didn't want to have problems calving. Right, right. Where would you direct them? Uh, which sire group from your bull sale, where would you direct those guys? On those kinds of cows, like, you know, a lot of times when a guy runs a smaller cow, you want to understand, like, it's probably because that's what their environment allows them to do. My idea is, like, to modernize those cows. You know, like, I'd use my pathfinders in the townships. Those, And the reason why is because those bulls are down the pipe. They'll maybe add a nickel of birth weight, but not too much. I'd have another question, too. It's like, well, are you going to breed heifers or cows? Because after that Cavanese cow's done having her first calf, let her rip. Like, use the 95-pound birth weight sire. You'll be okay. And, like, I say 95 pounds because it's relative to my environment. Right. In Oklahoma, he's probably 85. We have to remember that. And in the fall, he's probably 75. You know, the reason why our calves are heavier here is because when it's 30 below, the cows don't exercise. It sucks. You know what I mean? And so they just grow calf. And anyway, and that's not a product of overfeeding them either. We try to run these cows honest, mm -hmm. you know, like relative the way a commercial guy does. I remind myself, like, if you want to have success in this business, I think you have to ask yourself every day, like, if you turn your cows into commercial cows, would they pay your bills by the pound? Right. So if you had somebody that just, uh, you talked to them and you figured out where they had been going to buy bulls and you knew they were buying something with too much jam, just something that was, uh, they had a lot of open cows, they had a lot of fallout. What kind of bulls would you lead them to, to bring some maternal back into their cow herd in order, because we all know that open cow is not paying the bills. So how do we help these guys pay the bills? Mm -hmm. You pick the bulls in your sale that are sub 50%, like under the hundred contemporary number, uh, the bulls that are down the pipe, and maybe even a nickel more moderate. And the first thing I'll probably start with there is like, what's those bulls cow families like? When you have that kind of growth curve, like I'm trying to think about a bull in our herd that's out of that 12-year-old cow where you really trust her, where you can dial it back, add a little breed character, still keep that modern performance. You got to make weight. I had 1,100-pound Seneca daughter raise a renovation some last year, and she weighed 1,080. And at a flat year of age, that bull was like 5% IMF, a 14I. He was Cavanese. And that 1,100-pound cow produces a 1,400-pound son on a growing ration. And she's bred back AI, coming with her third. So that cow's doing everything you could ever ask her to do, and she's getting bred back. I mean, that's the type of cow that deserves more recognition. That's how I feel about it anyways. Uh, we kind of overlook those cows because they may not always be the prettiest cow in the world. You know, they can be overlooked, but then when you look at what she did, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of what, that's kind of what you get. It's amazing. Like since this last podcast, I've thought about that a lot. And it's like, really like, I think the biggest thing is, is that you, you imagine how much we could change this business. If all of us just said, all right, yes, the eight-year-old cow has got washed out EPDs, but she has absolutely the best story. She is the most predictable animal on your product. And because the way we market, we wash her out. And it's like, you know, the most commercial guys need one thing, consistency. Curve bender and translation to a commercial guy is sort of the sale bar when you sell your calves. I want to 
kind of get you to expand on that cow, for example, the, the thousand pounder that had the renovation sun. As purebred guys, I think we want to avoid complacency and, and we want to be at the edge of the genetic trend, right? And so for a commercial guy though, who who yeah. is trying to improve those convenience traits, who yeah. wants a cow that does exactly what you said, why don't you just mate her up to renovation for the next five years? You know what that did and she's going to provide that amount. So how do we balance that? Because I deal with that all the time. I find a mating that nicks and I find something that really, really works for these guys, but yet we're still selling a product and we still have to market it. And a lot of these cutting edge commercial folks as well, they want to be on the lead edge. They don't want to buy renovation son when they bought one last year. They want it. So how do you balance that in your breeding and marketing philosophy? Uh, I just think that you got to realize that the truth's in the pudding. I mean, you talk about renovation. I love that bull. There's things that I would, I'd made him accordingly as I would any bull, but like, just make it easier. Like you could take that thousand pound cow and use renown until you were blue in the face. I mean, you really could. I mean, and like Corbin and I have talked about this. It's like that bull is as modern as you can make one, a nickel under six mature soft um and yet still has masculinity characters right down the pipe and corbin you and i talked about this and i described him as polish you know and so honestly joel though it's like i just think we have to just tell every customer it's like listen we've been doing this like for this for a while and we got too many open cows like some guy calls the other day and he's like why is this bread market so good and the calf market doesn't really follow it's because every cow is open nowadays carcass and reproduction they are absolutely correlated to each other have all of one, you will suffer somewhere else. And this is about pregnant. Absolutely. And I think what you're talking about, really the need, and this is one of my passions, and I know David and Corbin as well, is the connection with the people and understanding their programs and understanding what they're about and their needs. And when we were newer, even in Bruin, especially with our breeding philosophy, how it's kind of changed and molded over the years, I found it easier to keep up with the touches on those customers. And now that we've expanded and our market share is larger and we're selling more cattle, it's hard to keep up with those folks and keep those those conversations going and maintaining those relationships to the tune that we used to. How do you maintain those touches with the customer? How often do you try to set foot on their ranches? How often? Uh, talk to us about the process of these relationships with your customers. You know, I, so typically, I, a lot of times what I'll try to do is when a guy's buying bulls from a competitor and I, I get a chance to deliver them for the first time, if they don't run their cows all together, like if they have smaller pastures, I typically encourage them to run our bulls by themselves. Like if you buy two bulls from us, for example, like turn them out on them 40 or 50 cows and just put a notch in their ear tag or something just to identify them. Because I mean, like at the end of the day, this is about practicing what you preach. And the truth is, is it's like, we absolutely should be using young sires. But I mean, you use young sires because you're tweaking the little things that these great bulls did, but it has to be built around a foundation, you know? And I just, I had a guy call the other day and it's like the most rewarding thing. He bought bulls in our first sale. We had 12 bulls. He bought five. They're coming seven. He bought 19 bulls that year, like spends a lot of money on bulls. And he bought five from us. And every single one of those bulls has been cold for one reason. And all five of the, of ours are still there. And the first thing he referenced is feet and testicle size. Like everybody can do that. We can all do that. Just get a grip. Angus cattle marble, okay? We know that, right? We can still make an incredible product, but just not at the mercy of the commercial guy. And that's my goal. It's like, we need to put preg rate back into these cows. And if you can get them pregnant, you can change. The truth is that like, you could go to a guy's place that is in a disaster for preg rate. And if you said, hey, listen, you're going to have to survive the first two years because you're going to have to restock your cow herd because there's too much fallout. 
Now you're at the mercy of the bread market, which is why cows are more valuable. It doesn't make sense in contrast to the price of calves. And you're just, I don't know, you're just in trouble there. Does that make sense? Oh, it surely does. Absolutely. And that's what we're seeing here is a lot of folks who have been following uh, the party line speak of genetic improvement across breeds over time uh, are finding out that what they're getting on one end, they're sacrificing on another. And I think that's what you're offering. And I think that that's one thing when I talk about customer service, and I think you're touching on it too. You can develop these relationships, but over time, the genetics have to prove themselves. The cattle have to show that they have value and people have to see that. And it's, it's difficult when you run in multi-sire pastures. And, and we've seen that here too. It's been awesome when people can run their own brewing cattle alongside and then follow those cattle straight through. Because when you're running a true blue maternal program too, on the bottom side, you can add that jam to cattle. You can add that right. phenotype to cattle that they're looking for, but it's a long-term project, man. It's like... Hey, spend more money with me today so that 10 years down the road, your cow herd will look good. Right. That sucks too. And like, there's a lot of components to that. And that was my whole thing with the, with these cattle that have gotten exclusively selected for high end marbling traits. Like the fallout of that is wretched, but you could honestly, you could go into that guy's place. And if you cold for fertility and production, you could salvage what was there, restock what you could find and rebuild a cow herd. Anybody can redo this. My customers, like, I truly do want to put my money where my mouth is. And the biggest thing is, is like, if you're, if you want to be a good breeder, I think you have to also act like you go there not to find out what you're doing so well. You go there to find out, like, now all of a sudden you have daughters from this guy's been loyal to you. And you go there and you see those daughters and they're proud of them. And it's making a difference and you could see it. You know what I mean? It's in clear sight. But you can't do that without understanding what their needs are. The first benefit you have is like, if you ask those guys questions, you can get them to avoid certain bulls in your offering that they don't need. That's really what it is. My biggest fear is, you know, a guy that really, really loves performance. And I love performance too. I mean, we got to make them gain weight. But my biggest fear is the guy comes in and buys the jammiest bull I have and puts them on big jammy cows. And, you know, I wish him well. I want him to sell. He'll sell those sons. But what kills me is that it's like, I don't know if I trust those daughters. You know, we're getting pretty far down that growth curve there. And you can't have all of one without giving something else. Jordan, I, I know Joe and I have talked about this on multiple occasions. We'll have a buyer come in, potential buyer. They seem to get set on one bull or one sire line. And I know Joe and I both, just based on experience with that, that breeder or that producer, we in the past have talked them out of that bull or that sire line and, and tried to direct them a certain way or another way that would best suit their needs. And I know that you've done that too. You just alluded to it there. What's been the reaction of uh, those buyers when you try to pull them off of what they think they need and redirect them to something that they in fact do need? It's got to be their idea. And I want it to be too. I just want us to think objectively together. It's not like because your cows do something extreme. It doesn't mean that it's the worst thing in the world. It's just something to recognize. But you talk about that. The guy that comes that wants to buy that power bull probably doesn't need him in most cases. You want to dial it back and stay there. And that is an interpretation of your environment. You run a bigger cow, raise bigger calves in, in the same environment, cost you the same amount of money, same amount of money, or if it cash flows, get it in you. Your environment will tell you, but that's the thing though, is like you just, once you get them to realize like you're not doing this as a sales pitch, it's like, you know what I mean? Like I've seen these cattle, here's their strengths and here's their weaknesses. And honestly, the, the bull I'm recommending to you is because he might have a weakness. That real moderate bull that, that can, you know, downsize a little more, you know, a frail kind of 
you know, cow that just needs some softness and some body, like redirect her, you know, that bull is the last bull that they usually pick. Does that make sense? It does. And uh, another question that has been weighing on my mind as we've prepared for this episode, you know, we moved our sale and I'm just alluding to us because that's what I'm most familiar with. But we moved our sale back to the ranch uh, a couple of years ago. And one of the big selling points to me in doing that was that the cow herd that produced the bull was was going to be available for customers to to go and take a look. And and what we've seen is there's a percentage of folks that do want to go see the cows, probably, I'm going to guess, 15 to 20%. What's been your experience? And do you have the dams of those bulls available for people to see? Yeah, there's 57 bulls in the sale, and every bull that's in here is out of a cow that's on pregnant on time in a strict breeding period. So it's all here. Now they run with the commercial cows. They all run together. Yeah, so I can, you know, I'll show you anything. We have nothing to hide. And I think it's about being transparent. That's the thing, though, is like if a guy calls, like I really encourage them, like, let me show you the cows. Ironically, you know, it's funny is most guys that actually ask that like unsolicited or however you want to say it, the guys that usually like I bet it's a 75-25 split and 75% of the guys that want to see the cows are commercial guys, which is kind of shocking. That surprises me, actually. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely eyebrow raising for sure. It's telling. It's surely telling where the priorities lie. And I think that they don't want to find out if anything's wrong. Well, and the seed stock producers can take a page from that playbook, right? And I think those of us that have are the ones that have been most satisfied with our latest decisions. And Jordan, I know you're not going to be comfortable with this. I just, I know because I know how you are and I know how humble you are. And those are some of the things that really drove people toward and excited them about the podcast and the things you had to share. I aspire to be as, as transparent and open and, and candid and, and genuine as you are. And that's what really resonates with our listenership. But I wanted to talk to some folks about your process. I mean, you got a young family and and it looks like, I mean, taking these pictures, you aren't flying in professionals. This is you and the kids doing it, right? Yeah, I, I learned pretty fast that it's like, if you're going to survive in this business from ground zero, you got to learn to pretty much do everything you can without having, because then you're at the mercy of someone else's time. So I actually, I worked for a registered guy and I begged, I had no money and I begged him to buy me a camera, a nice camera. And I just went out there and I just started taking like picture after picture after picture after picture. And just, you know, trying to like realize that this is about representing the bull to the best of your ability and not cheating. You know, like there's an argument sometimes about taking pictures of cattle in bedding. I take pictures of cattle in bedding for one reason, and that's because that's how you evaluate those bulls out on grass. They're in about six inches of substance. And the reality is, though, is that well, guys say, well, you can't see their feet. Well, I think it looks weird to see a bull on flat ground. The truth is, is if you're buying bulls from that guy, they better have good feet underneath there. That's the truth. Otherwise, they're not going to stay, you know? So in other words, I'm going to take a picture of them in the straw, but I'll walk them out and send you a picture of any of their feet. Just let me know. And I think that's what people are used to, right? I mean, especially in these Northern sales, I mean, they, they want to see the bulls in the straw and it's become a bit of a tradition, but I'm going to push you on this. And again, it's going to be outside your comfort zone, but I know you can handle it. Um, let's talk about some of the calves, the ones I called you about, the one I shared with a friend of mine. And, and you told me, you said, I'm so glad I met you, Joe. And hopefully you'll explain that a little bit. Let's talk about the Pathfinder calf. He's the one that hits you hard in the pictures in the three-quarter away. He's power. He's performance. Um, let's talk about how you prescribe him to a person. And, and then we'll go through some of the sire groups and things you'd want to share with some folks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, the stoutest calf is that resource. And uh, and I'm going to start the sale with him. And like, he's a tricky bull. 
like not tricky, but here's the thing is like, we're breeding to make that pendulum swing less. Truth is like you turn that bull against the red Angus population. He's a top 1% of the breed kind of girls bull. He's the thickest March calf I've probably ever seen in my life. And that's being objective too. It's just, he's that bull that you use in an AI setting when you need to overhaul some cows. Or if you have enough cows where you have a terminal division, where it's like, we're going to make all these cattle just pounds. Like he's that, you know, and we need that in certain cases. And so like, he's an interesting piece, but then we have a brother to him, the Pathfinder calf. And to me, he's just a little bit more balanced. And like, like the biggest thing, like I'm trying to get these cattle to have more Angus character every generation, you know, because I think like, it tells you something. It's like, you don't like an athletic bull typically doesn't have bad feet, you know, and an athletic bull has to have a sound structural integrity. They should just glide. That's my favorite thing about Pathfinder is that in a breed full of cavities, he's still actually moderate for birth, but the bull is incredibly wide-based. And yet what matches that is the amount of cleanliness in his joints and how he moves. I mean, Corbin and I are going to, we're going to run that bull uh, together at Territory Sun. And that's why I fell in love with him. Like that bull reminds me a lot of Pathfinder. He, you know, he's elegant made, he's crested, like he's got a modern growth curve where they're not going to be too small, but they're not going to be too big. And like the goal is, is it's like to make the bull that is big enough for the guy in Iowa and moderate enough for the guy in Montana. And that's about athleticism and doability and structural fluidity. And so like with guys that talk to me, like usually with power guys tell me like you can correlate that to birth weight. Well, man's the birth weight, you know, like there is a time to use that nice cavities bull that just kind of tones things back. We use red blood that w- that way, uh, and we have a few calves. I, I, like I just, I think I sent you guys that picture of that red blood uh, I took last night. And and anyway, it's like that calves out of a a true and proven like cow family that that are honest and get pregnant on time. And like he's got as much breed character and shape as you could ever ask for. And he's low birth. That bull is not going to compete with the re- with the resource son I just referenced in terms of flat out performance. But if we're in this for the long haul, I'll still bet on that bull's daughters. In other words, like, just because you get a, like, don't get the cart in front of the horse. Like, if you're grabbing too much weaning weight and you're keeping your own daughters, there will be a effect of that. You will have fallout. And to me, it's, it's balance everything from Cavanese direct to gestation to growth. You know, you want as much power as your environment will allow before cows start coming up open. And they better raise a calf or you weigh them up. And I don't know if you're going to have any sleepers in a sale of 57 bulls. I mean, there's ones that I think your quality is deep. It always is, especially when you run the cows you do and then cull it down so hard. But there's one on the flyer that was sent out that just kind of hit me as balanced and maternal. And he's he's got great breed character and angularity. Talk to me about the common sense son and those sons that you'd have available. How many calf crops have you had out of common sense? What are you using him to do? And, and the bull that's pictured kind of looking towards the camera he just intrigues me i don't know he's he looks like a cow maker yeah so it's funny you like him because he's affectionately known around here as gus and he's a younger calf um a cow actually she was cystic i knew that she was cystic i bred her and she was an eat like twice within 21 days and so i darted her with g and her h and then she bred and that just happens sometimes i'm just glad i i was aware of it and so anyway she calved on time now she's calving in january her mother's still here she's like 17 she has 11 nursing ratios with no smaller contemporary groups than 40 head for birth weaning and yearling. And she ratios 94 and 107 and had 11 lactations. That's hitting him pretty straight. I mean, that's, that's what we want him to do, right? 
we want them to do. And so she's a full sieve to pioneer and that bull sold in her second sale. And she's kind of just a cute little chubby cow. She's not real pretty headed. Like she's like, she's not ugly headed, but she's a meat and potatoes kind of cow. And then, and then you have common sense and like common sense is a nickel amplified version of Seneca. Like we used him on that code red daughter. She had a nickel more skeleton and some guys like every once in a while, like you maybe want to, like some guys would add a little more size to how they use Seneca. And so like I use that mating just honestly, like Seneca was probably five and a half or so as a yearling. And this bull is like a six. And anyway, and the cow's very productive. So I put those two together. Common sense is kind of a meat and potatoes bull too. Like never went a show, but they're loose hided. They got room to grow. They show great masculinity and breed character. They have testosterone. That bull's a breeding rascal. And a mom gets pregnant on time. And then you have a really long history on the other side. And Gus is young. And sometimes people walk by calves that aren't the biggest calves. And I think part of that is about education. We need to stop talking about 50Ks and start uh, having commercial guys come and we talk about evaluating cattle's phenotypical traits and the effect that has on your program. Absolutely. And one thing I wanted to add, and I think we're getting to the point where we've, we've talked enough about the sale offering and, yeah. and we'll talk about it in a different way. I want you to talk about it in a different way if you can. I think one thing that you did when you were first on here is you really spoke to the core of our listenership and empowering them and, and feeling like their own breeding programs had value for use back into their herds. I'm guessing there's going to be some tools here that you pull some pieces out of and use in your program. I think I know the bull because of how you talked about him and how you really lit up and were excited and, and really extrapolated. I'll let you extrapolate on that if you want, but I want to know about the process. How do you choose those ingredients that you're going to bring into your program again for the next breeding generation? Do you move the sire line along? Do you bring in different females? I think it's going to be a combination of all those things, but why don't you go into that process for us a little bit? I guess the first thing is like when I evaluate a bull, I use my imagination and I go, how many cows at home would you honestly breed him to? Like, where's he fit? You know, so sometimes like you'll see a bull like a sleeper and you're like, man, like with one flush, like I love all this stuff. And there's always got to be a backstory. In other words, I won't buy a bull that isn't out of a cow that has a story. And I'll buy a bull out of a two-year-old, but there better be a story behind that. Like, I'm, not, I'm all right with modern. That's cool. Like, it's a balance of both. And so that would be my biggest thing is, like, how many cattle do they fit on? And then, you know, that kind of usually, like, dictates, you know, how much money you're willing to spend. Because there is value in buying a $50,000 bull in this day and age for a, a registered breeder. I mean, sometimes that's what just what those bulls cost to get them bought. And... But it doesn't matter the value. It's like, how many cows will this bull fit on? And like, do you have donors? And why are they donors? Are they donors because of their indexes? Or are they donors because they're getting it done? And, uh, and then you just balance size and, and skeletal shape. You know, the best-footed cow on the planet, if she is like, in a perfect world, that's a 180-degree horizontal line. The best cow in your place, odds are she's 181 degrees or 179. In other words, there's always a cow to add a little more set to or take a little set out. But like as you draw closer to the pendulum, the females become more athletic. And then all of a sudden, like you're getting back to that balance where I'm not using the extreme power bull anymore. Like to me, a bull that's 97% accurate that has done the most in our industry is the bull that does everything in the top 30%. And that's when you should start believing in EPDs. You know, Joel, you mentioned this. This business is part art, part science. A great artist uses scale, and that's exactly what EPDs are, should be used for. Understand your environment only allows you to have this much growth. 
understand that breeding for premature babies that have respiratory issues is a foolish thing, especially when you don't pull any more out of 11 cavities, direct calves. It's not relative. And the weight you lose is just nasty. Like, get it out of your head. Well, yeah, absolutely. But I was curious, is, are there bulls in the offering this year you're earmarking as the next generation that you're going to use? And, and it's a kind of an unfair question because what we found here is sometimes the quote-unquote studs of the offering, the best of the offering, aren't the ingredients that I need at that time to further my program. And, and we're so geared towards the commercial cattlemen that we want our general population to be able to apply to their breeding programs. And we kind of use one back in our herd sometimes a little bit from left field because it's a different genetic combination or it's a different bull. And so I kind of put you on the spot of, of one that's always interested me. A topic that's interested me is that the ideology that goes behind choosing those sires you're going to use within your own program. It's a little unfair because then people say, well, he's all over this resource, son. That's the best bull in the sale. Well, he's the best bull for what you're looking for right now. Resource at my herd, I use them on a flush of a sniper on a little dainty cow that needs some juice, but she's productive and pregnant. Makes sense. Yeah. So he's going to be that sniper. That's going to be a one-off. So Jordan, one of the things you guys are doing again in your sale is something you did last year. You're doing a little bit different this year, but you guys are donating a flush and 50 units of semen again. And this time you're doing it to the Falcon FFA. And one of the things I thought was really cool was how you guys plan to use that money. So why don't you go ahead and share with us what your plans were for that? Last year, that turned out great. I was really grateful for it was cool to see that kind of support. And we have some donor cows that have earned the right to be donor cows. And so uh, it's a genetic opportunity too, but it's so much, it's more than that. It's like, you know, how can you give back? Like, I love these cows, but it's all integrated and I want to be good to people. And, and anyway, like AI and changed my life. And so the, what we're donating it for is we're going to try to purchase or be a part of purchasing a prototype that actually teaches kids how to AI both beef and swine. And that'd be part of their FFA thing. And you could actually have, you know, maybe other towns come to learn off that. And one of the things that's cool is that you can actually see how you manipulate the cervix. And I think that will train muscle memory. I think it would give people confidence to be able to see how they move that cervix and drop that gun into the uterine body and did it smoothly. And so AI was my start. I, mean, I wanted AI because I loved its true and pure innocence. And that's that you could buy a cow out of the sale barn and if she got pregnant, and you used common sense and you wanted to get better for $20, you could build a beautiful coward. And like to me, it started my life. And maybe you have one kid that learns a trait and rather than takes the wrong direction, like he knows how to AI cows. And it's like, I always tell Kelly, I'm like, my wife, I'm like, if we go broke, Kelly, it's like, it's not like I can't find somebody to let me breed their Holstein cows and we'll be able to feed our kids. You know what I mean? We'll be fine. Like I can feed my kids. Like this sale, like I'm, I'm glad that we've talked about this and stuff. Like I'm going to try to do everything I can to place these cattle like to the best of my ability so we can both have success. It's about money, but it's not. You know, I want to build a product that is of value. And to answer your question, Joe, the truth is, is like one thing that I can say about all these cattle is they're out of cows that get pregnant and do a very good job, pound for pound. And they're designed to do it for a long time. And so... Like if you have that as your constant, you know, now, like if you, if we had fertility under control and there wasn't so much fallout, we could get into the detail stuff, right? Like you could really, really get nitpicky and dial in as a breeder, you know, and this is a moving target. You're never going to achieve perfection. And so, you know, the AI thing, it's like, maybe a kid learns that. The other thing I want to do is I'm going to have them kids come out in the first 
Like it's better to make it visual. And I'm going to have them, I'm going to sort five heifers and five bulls. And I'm just going to teach them how to evaluate cattle. Like, and the biggest thing I want to get across is like, we need to be teaching these kids, like just some simple core practices. Like you buy a bull that's got great numbers with a nasty hip. You shouldn't buy that bull. You should expect that he's going to fall out. You know, that's the thing is like, I want these, I want these commercial guys trained where you're not like, nobody is going to slip one by them. It's like, you want them guys to hold you accountable because that's the only way you get better. And I don't want to do this and sit idle. I don't want to do that. It's like, so as we draw closer to that center line of Joe, like that resource calf, he has a place for the world. And I will tell you everything that I can possibly tell you about that bull for you to have success. And if you have the wrong cows for him, I will be transparent and tell you, I would not use that bull. And I don't care if the semen's worth $200 a unit. It does not matter. All that does is leave a, a scar between me and Joe's relationship. And I never get that guy back. Absolutely. So Jordan, I hate to end this because I know people could just sit and listen to you talk forever because you're just chock full of uh, some really useful information that some some people really need to hear. But in closing, let's let's let people know how they can get in touch with you, and, and hopefully those people will reach out if they have more questions. Uh, how can they get in touch with you? Honestly, just call or text. If I don't answer you, it's because we're doing something, and I'll call you back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm kind of old school like that. You know how that is, Corbin, with me. I want to know how we can help each other. So just call. Or text and like, if, you know, if there's a time that we can talk, like, I'm cool with that. I have all the time in the world. And it's like, I don't care how many cows you have or anything like that. This is about, this is about getting better as a breed. I mean, we've only been doing this for like 600 years. We shouldn't be talking about foot trouble in Angus cattle anymore. We're crying out loud. <laughs> you know, it's like, we should be moving on to bigger and better things. The stuff we struggle with is in plain sight. Yeah. Like, I have lots of work to do. Cows are pregnant for a long time, you know, so it takes a minute. And, like, I'm not saying that our, I'm not saying our cattle are any better than anybody else's, but I would put those cows up pound for pound in a commercial setting and say they would be relevant, understanding that the best ones still need change. And uh, let's just be real with each other and uh, talk about weaknesses. That's really what this is. It's like, it's not like because this is wrong, you should, like, feel like crap about it. You should, like, fight it. Like bulldoze right into it. The good stuff that you're already doing, that's awesome. But like, it's all right to take care of the things that maybe you're not comfortable with. It's like, like don't let your pride get in the way of success. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jordan, we really appreciate it. Can you just share your phone number before we before we sign off here? That's 605-228-9301. Yep, guys, you heard it from Jordan there. If you guys have any questions, be sure and call him. If you want to get in touch with me or David or Joe, feel free to do that. Would you like to join the underground as a sponsor? Let Angus Underground bring your product or event to our large and loyal following. For information on how you can become a sponsor, contact us at 406-210-1366 or angusunderground at yahoo.com. Again, 406 210 1366 or Angus Underground at yahoo.com. Well, thank you, Jordan Rhodes, uh, Rhodes Red Angus. We appreciate you coming on again and sharing some insight. Before we go, I'd like to wish everyone out there, all of our listeners, a healthy, happy, and prosperous new year. I think David stole all the superlatives that go along with it. A safe new year, too. A safe new year. I know hanging with Jordan, we can get inspired to have a lot of fun on New Year's, but keep it safe, guys. We'll get back to you 
in 2022. Thanks for joining us all the fall of 2021. It's sure been a great ride. You guys keep it safe and don't get too hammered on New Year's Eve and uh, make sure and get up and go to work tomorrow. Well, guys, thanks again. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in 2022. We've got a great lineup of guests, topics, and segments coming your way and a special surprise. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Until then, keep it underground. This episode of Angus Underground was brought to you in part by Montana Ranch, the source for balanced trade Angus, which are different by design. If you love this episode, head over to where you listen to podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Also, check us out on social media where you can interact with us and to suggest subjects that you'd like us to cover on upcoming episodes.